You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. Construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen. The Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Broom to Adelaide to Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, you name it, Anarchist World this week. So thank you for all your listeners, all the listeners across the country that are listening to the Anarchist World this week. It's streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast if you get called away. If the local meth dealer knocks on your door for a cup of sugar because he needs it for his meth lab, don't despair it is podcast you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au my name is joseph toscana and if you're wondering what anarchy is all about anarchos without rulers now obviously you and i are tainted with original sin and if we didn't have rulers to tell us what to do we would all be raping and killing and stealing from each other well that's what they tell us that's why we need the uh, all these uh all this infrastructure, state infrastructure. Well, obviously, anarchists are people who basically want to live in a society without rulers. Not without rules, but without rulers. It's about breaking down hierarchy. It's about holding wealth in common and using for the using it for the common good. When you look at most of the things that we have to deal with today, you begin to understand that George Orwell was right in the 1930s when he said telling the truth is a revolutionary act in a time of universal deceit and we are in a period of universal deceit I think what highlights this to a significant degree is what we are seeing around the world and more importantly what we are seeing in this country today as I speak We've got a situation where everybody's saying, Philip Lowe, Philip Lowe, get rid of the Reserve Bank Governor. It's not about Philip Lowe. He's just one person 
in charge of the Reserve Bank. It's about the system we have, a system which encourages people to make hay while the sun is shining. And what do I mean by that? Well, you may have noticed today that the uh, Commonwealth Bank, which was privatised by a previous federal Labor government, is made a $5 billion profit, a record profit for the last six months. And obviously most of this profit will go to shareholders. It won't go to customers. Because in a period of increasing interest rates, we see increasing profits in the private banking sector. In a period of increasing interest rates, where investors, that lucky 8% of disposable income, to get involved in the housing market and get a beautiful tax deduction, in this period, we find ourselves once again, the financial sector, the corporations involved in the financial sector, making extraordinary profits has the consequence of a financial system which is more interested in generating profits for us, very minuscule minority and causing harm to the rest of the population. I mean, that's the way it is. I mean, private investment for private profit is a very simple concept. You make a profit. And if you don't make a profit, you go under. Just look at the stock market. When you see some company saying, our profits will decrease, you know, they're... In the next 12 months, their share price plummets. And that's the type of society we live in. I mean, let's be realistic. Australia, of all the sovereign nation states in the world, should not have poverty. We should not have people suiciding because of financial issues. We should not have private charities raising money to send Australian children to public schools. We should not have people living in the streets. We should not have people paying 30, 40, 50% of their income to keep a roof over their head. We should not have people been bludgeoned by financial institutions which are making hay as interest rates are artificially increased and causing so much distress in the Australian community. We should not have a situation where people who go to university find they have a hex debt which they've got to carry for decades. This is a very, 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 very rich country with a minuscule population of around 25 million people. This is 25 million people living on a continent. We are the second, could be first, greatest exporter of gas on the planet. We're one of the major exporters of coal on the planet. We are a major exporter of uranium, gold, diamonds, copper, nickel, silver, and I could go on, iron ore, and I could go on and on and on. And somehow, we never seem to have 
enough resources to look after the needs of the people in this country. Now, look, I gave up traditional class analysis decades ago because it doesn't actually fit the situation we find ourselves in. To me, class is based in, in a modern capitalist society, a 21st century society, class is based on disposable income. It's not based on the type of occupation you're involved in. It's not based on your education levels. It's based on disposable income. And what that means is in plain English is how much money you've got left at the end of the week after you've paid all your bills. It's very simple. It's called disposable income. That's why it's disposable. You can use it to do things like buy a second home and get a tax advantage through negative gearing. Buy shares and get uh, impute, what are called imputations, you know, get a tax deduction for owning shares. It's about disposable income. So how do we, how do we look at class in the 21st century in Australia? We look at it like this. There's a 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And they own or have that 1%, over 40% of the resources of this country. 1%, 40%. Then you have the 8% who are investors. I'm not talking about superannuation, which is, you know, is a different kettle of fish, but investors. These are people in good-paying jobs, whether they're middle-level government bureaucrats at the state or federal level, whether they're, part, whether they're managers, whether they're self-employed tradespeople, whether they're involved in uh, the housing industry. But these are people who are, at the end of the week, have money left over which they can invest. And what we've done in this country, which you hardly ever see anywhere else in the world, we give this 8% of the population tax advantages. That's right, tax advantages through negative gearing. And what is negative gearing? Simple concept. You buy a second house, you rent it out, you increase the rents as the, you know, as the interest rate goes up so that you know, your renters pay for your house. And then if you make a loss on that investment, you claim a tax deduction. And for some people, it's a way of life. Negative gearing. Simple. So you've got an 8% investment class, and they are very comfortable. They can pay their bills. They can expand their financial base through using this country's taxation-friendly laws to, to invest. Okay? Then you've got the great bulk of the population, which is about 60%, 60, 60%. Most people are either small business people or wage earners. Now, a lot of small business people think they're part of the investment class. Obviously, they basically, at the end of the day, when they look at their uh, profits, they're just part of that large section of society which relies on bank finance or financial assistance from the financial institutions. At the end of the day, they pay their bills. 
They pay their mortgage, they pay their rent, they may have a holiday every year, they send their kids to school, some may send them to a, you know, a, a religious private school because the fees are much, much lower. And that's about 60-65. And then you've got one-third of the country, that's right, one-third, 33%, which is about 8.5 million people, relying on social security benefits to survive. And as we know, social security benefits are basically below the poverty line in the majority of cases. So we're talking about old-age pensioners, people on single parents' benefits, people on uh, student allowances, people who are unemployed, and the list goes on and on. So this is the class. You know, class analysis is not very difficult. So you've got the 1%, you've got an 8% which are part of the investment class, you've got about 60 to 65% who are self-employed or employed who basically pay their bills and don't save much at the end of the day, maybe for a holiday, and then you've got a third of Australians who are basically living on the breadline. That's the type of situation we find ourselves in this country. And when interest rates go up, who suffers? Is it the financial institutions? No. Is it their investors? No. I mean, the record $5.1 billion profit for the last... That's profit after tax, not before tax, after tax, for the Commonwealth Bank for the last six months, the last six months of 2022, highlights who profits... And who is forced to pay over and over and over again? This is not a problem about changing the head of the Reserve Bank, irrespective of how stupid he's, uh, he, he seems to be. It's not a matter of changing the head. It's not even a matter of changing the parameters which the Reserve Bank is forced to look at, or supposedly independent. But it's a matter of looking at the financial system that we have created, where private investment for private profit is the mantra, is the religious hymn we sing from the moment we wake up to the moment we die. Because, you see, as I've mentioned before, everything in a private investment for private profit society capitalist society is based on a monetary value to every human interaction. Every human interaction, both in the public setting and in the private setting, has a monetary value. And the dilemma is that while we as a people accept that this is the fundamental basis of our society, nothing will ever change. It's all very well for me to talk about, you know, the Reserve Bank, Parliament, the parliamentary representatives that we elect, corporations. The fact is, this type of system continues to flourish. And the key word is flourish, despite all its drawbacks and gross limitations 
as far as looking after the needs of the people in this country and the people around the planet, the fact is it continues to flourish because we accept the mantra. It's a little bit like a religious fundamentalist accepting every word that's written in that religious text. We are no different as a people to a religious fundamentalist. We are monetarists or monetary fundamentalists. We live on the basis that every human interaction must have a profit and loss uh, component to it. Every human interaction. And while we, our DNA is incalculated with this concept, nothing will change. Because you see, a democracy, rule of the people, by the people, for the people, and I'll repeat it again, rule of the people, by the people, for the people, is based on two fundamental concepts. One this is that people are involved in the decision-making processes, and currently... The only involvement we have in the decision-making processes is electing representatives to make decisions for us for the next three to four years, depending on whether it's a state or a federal election, every four to three years, all right? That is, a, that's the only thing. We are expected under law to cast a ballot. And if you don't pay your fine and I found this out to my chagrin for not voting and you challenge the matter in court and you're found guilty which you will be that is a criminal conviction every time I find myself I'm interacting with the law they bring up my criminal convictions you know what my criminal convictions are after 71 years on this planet in 1991, I failed to vote. <laughs> or was it 1998? I've forgotten. Unbelievable. So what I'm saying is, you want change. It's a, you, need, you need a fundamental shift in the way we look at things. We're supposed to live in a sovereign nation state. We don't live in a sovereign nation state. We live in a nation state where the decision-making processes and the finances are determined by a little minority, a cabal of people, a minority of the population. And we go through the charade of casting a ballot and giving a representative a signed blank cheque to make decisions for us for the next three years at the federal level and four years at the state level. And if we're promised the world and we give our vote to somebody and they change their mind or they change their political allegiance after they've been elected, there's nothing you and I can do until the next election. That's the nature of parliamentary democracy. So power is based on two fundamental principles. One is the ability to make decisions about the things that 
affect and concern you. And two, it's the ability to be able to use the commonwealth for the common good, right? Commonwealth for the common good. Don't forget, it's the commonwealth of Australia, not the 1% of Australia, the investment class of Australia. It's the commonwealth of Australia. We could solve most of the problems that we face as a country and as individuals and as communities tomorrow. We could. Not through bloody revolution, but you could solve it to a significant degree through parliamentary change. But the fact is, the more you enroach on their power, the greater the pushback. And the greater the pushback, the greater the harm that occurs in a society. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, I'm sure you've all been shocked or upset by the carnage caused by the earthquake in Turkey and northwest Syria. I mean, we may find at the end of this catastrophe that there'll be over 100,000 people died. Let's not forget that in Australia in 2014, in Indonesia, especially Aceh province, over a quarter million people died as a result of earthquakes and uh, ensuing tsunamis. But when I look at the situation, I think to myself, could we do any better as a society? Are we prepared for national disasters in this country? And we do have disasters in this country. Floods, fires, cyclones, the occasional earthquake, and the list goes on and on. Disease, pandemics... And what I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed, this is, I mean, this is nothing new, is the piecemeal approach that we take to the, how we deal with disasters. Initially, it's all over the news, all over the net. We see all these pretty pictures of people in difficult situations and a week later it disappears. Gone. Finished. And occasionally we hear stories about people waiting three years for accommodation or not being able to be insured or having to walk off properties and the list goes on and on because there is no ongoing assistance as well as very little acute preparation for disasters and I've said on this program before and I'll say it again what this country needs is 50 urban and regional disaster centres which are staffed, which have emergency accommodation, which have the technical ability to respond to a disaster as it's occurring and more importantly the financial ability to assist people post-disaster during the recovery period. Everybody says to me, but Joe, Joe, you're hallucinating. 
this will cost money. And I'm thinking to myself, we live in a society where the government will forego $16 billion this year because of negative gearing legislation. We live in a society where one-third of large corporations paid no tax in the last year or so. We live in a society where we have some of the largest corporations on the planet making billions of dollars of money, exploiting resources, natural resources, which belong to First Nations people and the rest of Australians. That's the type of society we live in. And we're constantly told there are no assets. There is no way we can fund this. Well, a very simple way to fund it, and all it takes is a little bit of parliamentary courage, but I don't expect that to happen these days, is levying the resources industry a 5% turnover tax. That's right. Not a income tax, not a profit tax, but a 5% turnover tax. That could raise billions of dollars every year. So what? If goods that we purchase increase in price, so what? At least we are prepared. And when I'm talking about national disaster centres, I'm talking about maybe one for every 500,000 people in an urban setting. For example, a city like Sydney or Melbourne would have 10 or 11. Then you would have one for every 250,000 for regional centres and then one for every 100,000 in more rural settings. So we would be prepared. You know what they say, you need to be prepared because natural disasters will increase as a consequence of the climate emergency. And to leave it to the individual to deal with a natural disaster or to leave it to a piecemeal response from state, local, state and federal authorities is a disaster in itself. And we have seen this as a result of the 2008 bushfires in Victoria, the 2019 bushfires in New South Wales and Victoria, the floods in Lismore and northern New South Wales and other parts of the country, and the list goes on and on. The floods at, you know, around Broome recently, the list goes on and on. So, again... Do we allow the private investment for private profit mantra to actually dominate the type of society we live in, where we have to rely on charity? Not the state, but charity in times of disaster. Think about it. It's not rocket science. It's not fusion. It is simple arithmetic. One plus one equals two. It doesn't equal three. In this country, one plus one equals 17, not two. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is cross, uh, broadcast across Australia from Broome to Melbourne to Sydney to Townsville and the list goes on and on. 
My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting this program. If you wish to talk to me at some stage, leave a message on 0439 395 489. Yes, you can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And we still receive the occasional letter, irrespective of what Australia Post says. You can email me at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Or you can email me at info at pipsy.net. Facebook pages, just Toscana, Toscana for the public. Public housing, everybody's business. You know, defend and extend public housing. YouTube channel. Public interest before corporate interest, where I'm doing, I do a YouTube presentation every week. So, think about it. But ultimately, it's about DIY. Do it yourself. I mean, I can talk under wet concrete. After I've been wrapped up in, you know, plastic, I can still talk. But... Talk is cheap. I'm the first one to realise this. I've been broadcasting for over 40, almost 45 years. Talk is cheap. At the same time, we try to organise activities in order to get people motivated. For example, where I live in Melbourne currently, we have a public interest before corporate interests Vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at midday every Thursday. Not that anybody's interested in terms of authorities, but the concept of public housing has disappeared from the public discourse, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Then we've got, over the next 10 months, I'll be doing 10 presentations on radical Australian history. Pivotal moments in Australian radical history. Moments which have actually changed. Changed the course of history. Moments that have been forgotten, buried, written out of the historical context. And the first one I'll be doing is this Wednesday, which is the 15th of March, at the Tanaminawaya Mulbohina Monument, at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne, starting at 6pm sharp this evening. Bring flowers to put on the monument, bring some food and drinks for yourself. Presentation, question and answer, then a bit of interaction. And again, it's about DIY, do it yourself. It's organising events with no monetary interaction. That's what it is, no monetary interaction. Events where you, where you learn things, where you can question things, where people with like-minded people can come together, interact, work together. All right, let's move on. Housing. Big issue. Never seems to go away. I was interested to see that in Victoria, in Melbourne, there was a full-page ad in some crappy paper about homelessness, you know, by the affordable and community housing sector and some business organisations. I think they're sick and tired of walking over, walking over people, you know, sleeping rough. And I'm thinking to myself, and then I heard this little debate about, you know, the federal parliament going to put $10 billion aside, is it invested and use any money that comes out of it to build twenty to 30,000 social community affordable housing. I thought, what, 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 what? Here we have the federal government giving money 
to the private sector to build housing. Could you imagine that? I mean, community housing, affordable housing, social housing, Califumpian housing, whatever you like to call it, is private housing. What's happened to the concept of public housing, of the state, either at the state or federal level, creating housing opportunities for people where rents are fixed at 25%. Now, I'm going to go through this again, and I've talked about this for decades. And as I said before, the interest is negligible because what's happened, all the groups that were once clamouring for public housing have now been incorporated in the private investment for private profit model. So we see all these religious basic groups and secular groups which are involved in the housing sector asking the money, asking the government, give me, 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 money. So we can build house which houses which we will manage, we will decide who comes into them, we will pick and choose, etc. etc. So what's the wrong with the concept of public housing? I mean, how did the public housing sector start? I mean, do you know that after World War II, legislation was introduced through Parliament which actually stopped rent increases? Do you know that when Australian servicemen and women returned to this country, where over 25,000 Australians died as a consequence of that war in World War II, They were housed in the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. They were housed on sporting fields in tents. And this led to the push for the creation of a public housing sector, not for just people in emergency situations, but for everybody who cannot afford to enter the private housing market. And obviously... Because the private housing market now dominates housing in this country, there is no competition. I mean, most countries in the world, sovereign nation states in the world, which we tend to laugh at, you know, oh, look at that furball country, don't allow private investors from overseas to actually invest in the real estate market, the, the residential real estate market, just the residential. But we open the floodgates. We said, oh, that's nice. That's nice. It'll bring capital to the country and obviously pricing is. So what are the positives of a strong public housing sector? Now, I'll go through it again. And if you think you can, you know, you're going to find a hole in this argument, I'm happy to argue with you. Strong public housing sector. More people in public housing, less demand, for rental accommodation at the lower end of the housing market. Less demand for rental accommodation in a capitalist society means a drop in rents for those people not in public housing. Less demand means that investors are not going to make the type of money they'd like to make and they're not going to be able to increase rents to cover an increase in interest rates and they will divest themselves of non-profitable housing. 
So prices will drop at the lower end of the market, which will allow people who don't want to live in public housing, want to live in the private housing sector, to move into the private housing sector. At the same time, what we will see is a significant decrease in violence, whether it's at the at the level of the home, whether it's on the streets, whether it's community violence, because what we will see is a situation where people begin to live in the same area. They send their kids to the same schools, the same sporting clubs, so there is more interaction within people in society, so there is a decrease in crime. And a decrease in crime, obviously assist the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. So if you have a strong public housing sector in a private investment for private profit market, what that means is that you've got real competition. And if you've got real competition in a capitalist society, not fake competition when you know it, it's dom- a sector is dominated by the private market as we see in the financial sector, then you see a drop in housing. You see a drop in housing prices, a drop in rent, and everybody's happy, except a few investors, but I'm sure they can negotiate with their bank over it. All right, let's move on. So if you think public housing struggle is is over, it's not. As I said before, I'd like to see this across the country. I'd like to see people set up public housing vigils in front of state parliaments, in front of federal parliament, you know, 10 embassies to promote the public housing sector. Because if we don't and we allow them to get away with fudging the division between private housing, which is community affordable social housing and public housing, we deserve to live in a society where our children and their children can't even put their foot in the... uh, housing market. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana, and if I do forget my name, you you can remind me, all right? Now, state terrorism. Remember last week, I think those of you who are following the Royal Commission into the robo-debt fiasco can actually see state terrorism at work. What is state terrorism? I mean, the state loves to talk talk about terrorists, you know. The terrorists did this and the terrorists did that. But what is state terrorism? State terrorism is when the state uses all the power at its disposal to harass individuals and especially individuals who are not able or find it difficult to defend themselves. That's what state terrorism is about. The thing about the robo-debt fiasco is, one, it was illegal. The previous government organised a system of exploitation of the most vulnerable members of the community which had no basis in law. Now, if I was involved 
an illegal activity, I can assure you there'd be a knock on the door and I'd be in court. I can assure you, I can give you 100% guarantee. I do have a criminal record. I failed to vote in 1998. Let's not forget that. So that's what state terrorism is. And what we saw was a classical case of state terrorism. And the dilemma is that in Australia, there are no constitutional protections for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. And we've seen this over and over and over and over again. Whereas the detention of asylum seekers and refugees for decades. Decades. And the High Court has said under the Australian Constitution, anybody who's not an Australian citizen can be detained indefinitely without trial. Whether it's legislation which makes striking a criminal act in this country, whether it's legislation which allows the authorities to pull you off the streets, interrogate you for up to seven days, then chuck you out the door, and if you fail to uh, answer questions, you can be jailed for up to seven years. And if you tell anybody that you'd been uh, taken away for seven days, including your wife or your husband or your family or your kids or your friends, you can be jailed for seven years. I'm not making this up. I know. It sounds ridiculous. It's there. Remember that poor doctor who I've forgotten his name a few years ago was swept up in that anti-terrorist hysteria but here we have here we have a government involved in grossly illegal activity supported by a weak need gutless bureaucracy and more importantly the corporate owned media that's leaked information, given information to denigrate individuals publicly who had the audacity to complain about the treatment they were receiving under the robo-debt scheme. We have the Murdoch media, a gutless bunch of... Sorry, I was going to use the word morons, but I don't want to actually be nasty to morons, a gutless bunch of so-called journalists willing to be fed material by the federal government to ensure that no serious questions are raised about this illegal activity. This is not new. I remember in 2004 when I was involved in the, when I was the convener of the Defend and Extend Medicare campaign when Abbott was trying to privatise Medicare that the Murdoch media ran a three-day expose of the people involved in inverted commas expose inverted commas of the people involved in a in the organising organising the Defend and Extend Medicare campaign where material was given to them and they actually lauded, they laughed about it in their columns, material was given to them by Australian security intelligence organisations regarding individuals which was then published in the media. 
and Victoria and Melbourne Trades Hall took up our our um, complaint. It was taken through up the right channels, and ultimately, it was found that they couldn't find a smoking gun. So this is this is nothing new. What we have is this unholy alliance between the Murdoch media and conservative elements and reactionary elements in society where they are fed information to ensure that only one particular viewpoint is aired. And if you think the legacy media is irrelevant, sorry to apologise. These days, most media organisations are virtual. And the dilemma is, where do they take their lead? Where do they get the information? They don't have the resources to do any investigations. So where do they take their information? They take it from the legacy media. And if you don't believe me, pick up, don't buy it, whatever you do. Don't don't waste your bloody money on that shit. Don't buy it. Pick up the legacy media. Have a read. I know if you vomit over the paper, it's all right. You can always put it in the bin or recycle it in the garden, all right? See what are the lead stories then turn on your television, look at social media, look at radio, and guess what, boys and girls? It's the same lead story. Do you think Murdoch is stupid enough to waste money on a national newspaper, The Australian, which has never, never, never made one cent profit in its five-decade history, five-decade-plus history, if he didn't think there was a political dividend. And what the state terrorist acts which were encompassed in the robo-debt legislation highlighted is that wonderful association between reactionary and conservative elements in this society. Think about it. And did we get an apology? No. Did we actually uh, say, well, I'm sorry? No. And while you continue to buy that shit, you know, whether it's a legacy or on social media, well, then you deserve. We deserve the type of society we find ourselves in because ultimately access to information, access to analysis is critical in the way we approach an issue. Critical. Critical. And again, we never seem to have that link between what the corporate-owned media and to a lesser extent the government gelded ABC put out as analysis and news and what is reality. And as I said at the beginning of the program, George Orwell is quite right when he said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And that's what the anarchist world this week is about. It's about attempting, attempting to wash off the mud off reality that we face every day and actually look at why we as a people find ourselves in this situation. I'll give you an, give you an example, simple example, all right? Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I think some minister in the... Albanese, ah, 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 some minister, I nearly made a mistake then, I'll talk about it in a minute, in the Australian government said, 
We're keeping an eye on the Iranian embassy because they are harassing Iranian people who've come here as refugees and asylum seekers. And I'm thinking, well, that's nice. That's good to know. But I've been involved with the West Papuan movement for over a decade. I've been the convener of the West Papuan office for almost a decade, right? And I know, and every West Papuan activist in this country knows, and every West Papuan refugee and asylum seeker in this country knows, that the Indonesian government actively monitors and harasses people here in this country. Do you ever hear the bloody minister say to the Indonesian government, hey, can you back off? Can you back off? We've got our eye on you. We know what you're doing. Quite happy to do it with the Iranian government when it comes to West Papua, which is less than 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline. Silence. Total, 100% silence. You realise the Martians are coming? All those unidentified flying objects, whatever they call them in the air? As if the West doesn't spy. Come on. I must have been born yesterday. Can't believe it. All right, little Piccadillo, or Peccadillo, whatever you say. Look, I'm a bit concerned that we've been prepared for war. Now, I've talked about it before. I've talked about the increase in US presence in North Australia. I've talked about the, uh, you know, the nuclear submarines, the militarisation. But I'm really interested in language. Because if you're involved in broadcasting and writing for as long as I have, you'll find that language is critical to creating the circumstances which allow a state, a sovereign nation state, to become involved in a violent conflict. Not just against its own citizens, as we saw with the robo-debt fiasco when they talked about movers and leaners, bludgers, the list goes on and on, all right? But the change, there's been a change. There's always the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander can to kick around. Yeah, they're doing that very well at the minute, but that's a different story. But there are things that I'm fascinated by. You see, I've noticed lately that when people in authority and news outlets talk about the Chinese government, they don't talk about the Chinese government they talk about the Chinese Communist Party. Interesting. I mean, irrespective of what you think about the Chinese Communist Party, and I think it's an authoritarian heap of shit, right? The fact is, they are the government of China. Now, when we talk about our ally, the Saudi family that controls the Arabian Peninsula, we don't talk about the Saudi family. We talk about Saudi Arabia. I mean, the Saudis are just one clan on the Arabian Peninsula, which currently are able to exercise huge power of the 40 to 50 million people that live on that Arabian Peninsula. Now, if we were being consistent, we would talk about the Chinese Communist Party, controlling China and a Saudi family controlling the Arabian Peninsula. But we don't. Another thing that I detest 
the test is when ministers talk about the Albanese government. Now, most Australians did not elect Mr Albanese. Now, whatever you think about Mr Albanese, he's just a local representative for a particular area in New South Wales. They elected him and then his party elected him as Prime Minister. It's not his bloody government. It's not the Abbott government or the Morrison government or the Albanese government or the Turnbull government. It's the Australian government. It's our government which makes decisions for us. It is not their government. The other thing that I find, and I've spoken about this ad nauseum, which I find offensive, totally offensive, is when I'm interacting with some type of public institution that is an institution which is funded by you and me through direct and indirect taxation, I cannot stand the idea that I am called a fucking customer. I am not a customer. I am a citizen of this country. I am interacting with a public service. So once again, we are seeing the language being used to create an environment where, one, we've been prepared for war, and two, where our citizenship is totally devalued in this country. Totally devalued. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station broadcast across the station via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You'll be able to access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If the podcast is a few days late this week, relax. It will be podcast. You can write to us. Yes, we do still receive letters to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. If you're interested in joining Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, go to the website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can actually join online. Yes, we have some very sophisticated people running that particular website. Don't forget tonight, if you are in Melbourne, you want to understand want to learn why the hanging of Tanaminoe and Mobohina in 1842 has anything to do with us in 2023. Come along for the first of 10 uh, presentations regarding pivotal moments in Australian radical history which have changed the direction of this country. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station courtesy of the community radio network you can always go to the uh, you can always go to our youtube channel public interests before corporate interests thank you once again for listening to us on the community radio station and remember you're a citizen you're a permanent resident you are not a customer thank you evil minds that plot destruction sorcerer of death
gets construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. 3CR is radical radio, and that means more than just alternative current affairs and political coverage. We're radical because we're an independent media outlet, owned and operated by the community. We're radical because we give communities the control of their own shows, with their own music, in their own languages. We're radical because we provide a media platform for communities to build their own power to create social change. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.